Well, my name is Scott Reilly. It's so good to see you here today. Uh, if the sun is, becomes a problem, feel free to move. Uh, that'll be fine. Just don't fall off your chair. That'd be like the main thing that would distract me. But, but move if you need to. That's great. Um, I just want to say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and let the, the team uh, head down and uh, just ask for God's blessing on his word now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a beautiful morning. It's exactly what we would have hoped for on a day like today. Thank you we get to be outside and together. Pray that you would encourage us, that your word would strengthen us, and that your spirit would animate us to uh, live like Jesus would live. And so I thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for one another. Uh, help us be a blessing to one another and to the people in the park today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. May be seated. Well, the text that I'm going to use for my message is on your song sheet. It's in the, the center here. If you want to go ahead and pull that out, if you have your own Bible, that's all the better. Uh, you can use that for sure. But this morning, we are in the middle of uh, a series that we're doing at uh, New Life Church that we're calling our spiritual dynamic. And the idea of that spiritual dynamic is that we're trying to uh, help uh, understand how the Christian life works day to day. There is a picture in here that will give you a little bit of a clue about what it is that we're trying to do, and that it has the gospel at the center, and then it has a few things around the edges. And that gospel in the center implies that we want to keep the good news about Jesus at the center of our lives and ministry, and when we do, those other things will come about because the gospel's at the center. You can think of it as though it was a uh, uh, like a merry-go-round at a park, where the merry-go-round at the park, uh, if you've ever had the job of being the guy who pushes on the merry-go-round, that first push, that second push is like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. But pretty soon, it begins to be easier. Pretty soon, it goes faster. And pretty soon, your friends who made you push start to fly off the merry-go-round. That's what we see happening here with the spiritual dynamic. We push on the gospel over and over. You go back in your own life to the good news about Jesus over and over. And then the things that you really think should happen in your Christian life begin to happen. And that's what we're trying to do and make explicit with this series. And so this morning, I'm going to especially um, try and, and connect the dots between the gospel and personal change. What is it about the things that you want in your life that rely on the gospel? Why, is it, why must you believe the gospel to have the kind of life that you are after? So let me be more specific. Suppose you desire 
to be sexually free from sin and shame and guilt in your past. What do you do? Suppose you would really like that anger problem of yours to not be quite so frequent. How do you make that happen? Suppose that you can't help it, right? That you look at what other people have, how happy they seem, and you become envious or jealous like God loves them more than he loves you. What are you going to do to get that feeling to go away? You know. You know that you should love your husband more, but you really don't feel like it. How do you become more loving? You really wish you wouldn't worry as much as you do. You've tried everything to get over it. Right? Get over it. That's what somebody will tell you. Don't worry. But how do you gain the freedom from fear? And you can fill in the blank with really any life change that you would like to make and when you come up against it, you've got to figure out, how am I going to bring about that change? Well, today, I have good news for you. I have gospel for you. And so, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, or turn in your song sheets, that seems weird, to Galatians chapter 5. Either way, will work the same. And it's a fairly familiar passage that I hope will be an encouragement to you. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. In verse 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so there, just to get us started, we begin to see that if you walk in dependence on the Spirit, that God will bring about the changes in your life that you are after. You'll notice as you look there, just in those first few verses, there are two different realms, really. There is the realm of the spirit and the realm of the flesh. There is uh, what he calls the spirit and the flesh. Now that seems kind of unusual. I mean, I don't go around talking about that very often. But how are you to think about the spirit and the flesh? Well, let's start with the flesh. The, the flesh, uh, just, like, just like what you have on your arms or on your face, the flesh is a natural situation. The flesh is the way that you are by default. The flesh is the way that you came into this world and the way that you would live in this world if Jesus is not part of your life. So it's a natural state of human beings who are in a fallen state where their affections, their desires, and their actions are goofed up by sin. And for many, for many, really, 
the flesh goes unopposed in their lives. The natural condition of rebellion against God is the way that they go through the world. And so that's the way that the flesh is used here. It's sort of the natural default setting for human beings. The Spirit, on the other hand, really is the living Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would come to those who believe, to those who live in the realm of His kingdom. And the text is clear that the Spirit comes and opposes the flesh. They are at war with each other. You are not a spiritual person who is happy about living a natural way. To live a natural way is to mean that the Spirit is not in your life causing you trouble. But he says here that if the Spirit is in you, he will cause trouble in that natural way of living. You can think of it possibly as though it were an operating system in a computer. You get an operating system in your computer and the flesh is what's installed when you get it from the factory. And that's the way that it runs. Except that it has a virus. And the virus makes many of the operations of that computer not work right. That's what you have when you have uh, the flesh. And then you recognize that as a problem and when the Bible invites you to believe and to repent, you believe and you repent and you get a new operating system installed on the computer that then begins to take away the virus and cause the computer to work like it should. So the $64,000 question then is how do you get that new operating system. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 tells us, it says, it says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And so you get the Spirit by belonging to Jesus. Or in, in Galatians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can just go back a page or two, and it says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And so what he does there is he contrasts the way that you get the Spirit. You get the Spirit by faith, not by the works of the law. You don't earn the Spirit. You don't become a spiritual person by self-improvement. You get it as a free gift from the Lord. And then he asks the question, though, there in Galatians 3.3. He says, do the rules change? This is, this is why we're doing it this way. This is why we're having the conversation about our spiritual dynamics. The question is, do the rules change? Do you become a Christian, get the Holy Spirit by faith, and then all of a sudden have to get busy and work harder? Do the rules change? And he, he implies by his question, no, the rules are the same. You begin by faith and you live by faith. The whole 
Christian life is by faith. And then you'll notice there in verse 18, you, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He introduces a new word that we haven't seen yet, law. Uh, probably everyone's favorite word, right? Law. Why would he introduce the law right here? What is it about the law that says, hey, talk about me right now? Because I think what he's introducing here is what I'm going to call the pseudo-dynamic. The false dynamic. The true dynamic is the spirit that works in you, right? The false dynamic here is the law. And I think it's false because most of us will naturally default and will say, I have to change the rules. I began my faith and now I got to work a little harder. That's the law. It is the way that people try and manage their sin. It's the way they try and conquer that flesh. They apply the law to it. And so they manage their lives by the law. This is not the Old Testament law that's an expression of God's covenant faithfulness. It's not the Old Testament law is an expression of God's character. It really is the method here. It's, he's using the word law as the method of sin suppression. The method of self-improvement. And so he's saying, if you have the Spirit, you don't have the same mechanism operating in your life that you did before. And so you find that the good news of Jesus is that when you trust in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then operates in your life and it isn't a mere matter of self-improvement. The Spirit brings about the change that you need. And so it's not the principle of the law, the principle of self-effort, self-improvement, or self-justification that we are needing. Instead, it's this principle of faith where I trust someone else to do the work, someone else to improve me, someone else to justify me. It is a life that begins and goes on with faith. And so if that is the operating system of the spirit and the operating system of the flesh and my attempt to manage that flesh by the law, what does it look like? How do I know that I'm operating with the wrong operating system. Look at verse 19. He, he spells it out for us so we know what that is. The works of the flesh are evident. It is obvious that you're working on the natural way. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now I want you to notice a few things there. There are 
several important things. Uh, I, I don't want to go through what every one of those words means. Most of them are obvious. That there is a different sexual ethic. That there is a different um, value system, not idolatry, but the living Christ. That there is a different relationship to alcohol and drugs. There is a different way of relating to people, not enmity, strife, anger, jealousy, rivalries, dissensions. All of those things are transformed by the Spirit. But I want you to notice that he says it's obvious. It is obvious to see where there's a problem. That all of those things mark the natural life, but not the spirit life. I also want you to notice that this is a long list. There's 15 items there, but it's not exhaustive. He says, and things like these. There are things that you might not even think about that don't come from the spirit, but come from the flesh. That's the way the virus works. And then it comes with a warning. It comes with a warning that I really do want to make sure that you see. It says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, getting this figured out is not an option. Because naturally, if you do what comes naturally, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It will be evident against you. And I think it's important because if you're like me, you don't score 100 on the get it right test, do you? You mess it up occasionally. But I want to make sure that you see or, or get clear on this translation here. The, the ESV, the one that's here, says those who do such things. And you might say, oh, I did such a thing. That's a problem. It's not really the natural or the most common word for do. It's the word for practice. It has to do with the ongoing practice of these kinds of things where you leave them unopposed in your life. If this kind of lifestyle goes unopposed for you, that's a problem. And that's when he says you need to be warned that you can't go to the you can't be part of the kingdom of heaven and have that at the same time. And so let that just sit there and warn you, we got to get this figured out. But then he transitions very quickly to the operating system of the spirit. In verse 22 and 23, so he makes this contrast, but it also is going to become evident how the different things work. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Again, I want you to notice a few things that are here. First is the word fruit. That is opposed to the word works. It's the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, one is a result and one requires effort. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was picking raspberries in my garden. 
And I was thinking about all of those things I did to make those raspberries. I was thinking about how I applied my own will and ingenuity to have those raspberries come on that bush. How I would go out at night and give those bushes a pep talk. About how I would play classical music for them. And yes, you figured it out. I didn't do any of those things, and it wouldn't have helped anyway. Why not? Because that's not how it works. The fruit of having raspberries in my garden is raspberries. Having raspberry plants in my garden equals raspberries in my bowl. That's the way the fruit works. It just happens. If the plant is alive and healthy, it produces fruit. It is natural. And if the Spirit is alive and well within you, you will have His fruit. There's nothing you can do about it. I, I also have to say, there are some cherry tomatoes down there. Would you please take them? Because we have cherry tomatoes in our garden. It's a kind we never had before. And we can't make them stop. They just keep coming. And, <laughs> in fact, Lane picked them yesterday and she said, that is a dumb plant. Because that is all it does is puts out these little cherry tomatoes. So, anyway, I don't know if there are any other gardeners put that together that you could bring your extra cherry tomatoes for everybody else today, but I did. Because that is the natural way that the garden works. The other thing I want you to see, though, is that there is only one fruit. There is the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits of the Spirit. There is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit has all of this variety that represents the character of Jesus. It is the fruit of the Spirit, which means I don't go about making a project for joy or making a project for love or making a project for perseverance because, number one, it doesn't happen by my project anyway. And number two, number two is they're all a package. You have the Spirit. He works these things within you. And so it is wrong-headed to think that I'm going to develop um, kindness by working at it. I'm going to develop kindness because the Holy Spirit develops kindness within me. That is the spiritual dynamic. And then notice he adds this little tag on, then against such things there is no law. Again, why bring up the law? What is it about the law that shows up here? He said, I think he's saying, that false dynamic of the law of self-improvement, of working harder and doing better, that's not going to do it for you here. This fruit-bearing does not happen by law-keeping. It happens by the fact that you have the living spirit within you which produces fruit. And so... The spiritual dynamic is the spirit that works within you. Now, the, the, the last couple verses that I'll talk about here 
uh, give us the key to the spiritual dynamic, the thing that makes it work. Look at verses 24 and 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So he starts out by saying, those of us who belong to Christ Jesus. This is where Jesus comes in. Because we haven't been talking about Jesus, have we? Or have we? We've been talking about his spirit. His spirit that he has given to us. And those who have the spirit have Jesus. Those who have the spirit belong to Christ Jesus. We already saw in chapter 3 that you belong to Christ Jesus by faith. And you receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And so what happens when you believe and when you get Christ Jesus is that you are united with him in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Your union with Christ happens by faith so that when God sees you, he sees you uh, with Jesus, who is the one who justifies you, is the one who makes you right, who is the one who brings you to God and makes you acceptable. And so when you surrender to Jesus, you belong to him. When you belong to him, his history becomes your history. His death, your death. His resurrection, your resurrection. And so he can say here, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. In other words, that initial operating system of the flesh, it is like, Erased. It is removed. You have cut off the passions and desires. Now you may have some lingering habits, some lingering uh, programming that you put in there yourself, but the flesh is uh, eradicated there. It is crucified. In other words, it may be an influence, but it has no power. Let me say that again. You may have that lingering influence, but it has no power over you. The power comes from the Spirit. It doesn't come from your law-keeping and your do-gooding. It comes from your faith in the Spirit. And again, I have to go back to the garden. I have, uh, in my garden, I have weeds that grow. I'm sorry to say. And those weeds, I can just like grab them and throw them to the chickens and it's fine but if I don't get them at their root they will come back and what this tells me is that those who belong to Christ Jesus have gotten the flesh at its root and so the roots are pulled out and there is a process that begins of the Spirit taking over and you being united with Christ kills those works of the flesh at their root, which is, which is great news. 
And so to experience this spiritual dynamic that we're talking about, this living in the Spirit, we have to walk by the Spirit. That's what it says there in, in verse um, 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is not a simple, simply a stroll with God. The word is different than that. It isn't just a plain old word like it is in verse 16 for walking one foot in front of the other. This is more like marching or keeping in step. I don't know, those of you who have ever marched in a marching band, um, especially when you're first getting started, know what a big problem this is, right? You get, you, you, you're supposed to like keep with the beat and keep with the person in the front, and you get off and it's like, ah, how do I get back, right? You get back by taking your cues from the person who's on the beat, from paying attention to the right one. And here we keep in step with the Spirit by taking our cues from Him. And it's more than simply just taking your cues. He is the one that inspires you and puts the melody in your life so that you have the right downbeat. And so that's a new, isn't that? That's a new illustration. The first illustration was about gardening. Now we have an illustration about a military life or a marching band where you're keeping in step and you're going in formation with others who are walking. You're keeping in step with the Spirit. And so if you have a background in marching band or in the military, that is clear enough for you that you keep in step with the Spirit in order to experience the life-changing result or the fruit of the Spirit. Or maybe you're a gardener, and that's a better illustration for you, and you recognize that the fruit that you really want in your life is produced by what the Spirit does in you. That you, you harvest the fruit because of what the plant does. Either way, the message is the same. The transformed life that belongs to Jesus is not natural. It is opposed to the works that are natural. It comes when the Spirit of God is in your life. And just like you're marching, you keep your eyes on Him. Just like you're gardening, you do everything you can to cultivate that Spirit life within you. Because the Spirit produces the fruit. And this Spirit, as I mentioned before, is a gift. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you can somehow manufacture by your religion. The Holy Spirit is a gift to you. And Jesus told us He would give, give us the Spirit. He promised us the Spirit because God had promised the Spirit. God had promised the Spirit back in the Old Testament, in the New Covenant. He made it really, really clear, didn't He? He said, I will take out their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within them. What, what God is doing is He is rewiring us to live by the Spirit. As He promised in this new covenant. Now, this new covenant depends on Jesus, on his death and resurrection, 
our participation in it depends on our absolute trust in him to do what he said he'd do for us through Jesus, which includes giving us the Spirit. But I will say that that is why, one of the reasons why, we celebrate communion, because we're going to celebrate communion now. If you don't, don't have the elements, there are still some tables out, I think, that you can find some. And so you'll want to grab those. But we celebrate communion because Jesus left that for us as a way to remember him, to remember what he is doing, and specifically to remember this new covenant promise about the Spirit. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He said when, when we get to the juice part, he said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Reminding us that, yes, he does intend for us to live with a new spiritual dynamic that will produce this kind of change in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And so because we are Jesus people, we are spirit people, and we remember Jesus' death and resurrection in the way that he reminded us, which is communion. So if you have it, go ahead and take the, the bread, and uh, we'll remember Jesus this morning. Some of the words which we normally use are these. For what I receive from the Lord... I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you join me as we pray? Well, Heavenly Father, it is a privilege for us to join together and be reminded of the unity that you intend for your church because of the blood of Jesus. It is a privilege to be reminded of your uh, new covenant whereby you give us the Spirit so that we might live a new life. And Father, it is a privilege for us to remember Jesus because it is in his death and resurrection that we find the good news that brings us forgiveness, that brings us cleansing, that brings us reconciliation with you and hope for eternal life. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross that grants to us 
the glorious hope. We praise you because of him. Amen.